The Geographical Cure The bulk of time Miko and I spent in Nambucca, we were plotting ways to get back to Byron. We'd go through stages of looking on real estate sites for rentals that allowed pets and that were affordable, but mostly we'd come up dry. Things started to get more comfortable in Nambucca. We started to make some friends and socialised a shitload more. We'd have back deck parties regularly and had found ourselves in a cool group of friends. It was a bit of a motley crew. Some young, some my parents' age. I loved it. We lived walking distance from most people or a quick taxi ride, which you never had to wait hours for. Some afternoons we'd walk up the street with an esky on wheels full of beers and stumble home in the early hours of the morning. It was fun. I started to really enjoy being in a small town where everyone knew everyone because it meant you were only ever one person away from a friend. felt kind of homely. And then, just as I started to feel at home, some friends came to stay for the weekend. They told us another mate was going overseas for 18 months and was looking for someone reliable to move in and watch the place. I felt super excited but also a little torn. I'd only just started to feel a sense of belonging and now I'd have to leave all the amazing new friends I'd made. But on the other hand, I'd be in the one place I thought I'd felt at home in previously and the cool factor of Byron far exceeds quiet little Nambucca heads. There's always something happening and it's a short drive to the hustle of the Gold Coast, not to mention much cheaper and quicker to make my way to Melbourne from Byron. It seemed a solid option, so I firmly fastened on my rose-coloured glasses again. We spoke to our mate and he was keen. However, there were a few conditions that weren't all that favourable. The place was a beautiful old farmhouse in the hinterland. Two bedrooms and, for the first six months or so, we'd be sharing that two-bedder with his 18-year-old son and his son's girlfriend. Miko was concerned. He didn't think I could handle living with a very messy 18-year-old or two. He was probably right, but I was so dogged determined to get back to Byron that I somehow managed to convince him that I'd be okay. I guess he was probably really enamoured with moving back too. Now, the last time I was like this bull in a china shop about something that turned out not quite ideal was the move to Nambucca. So maybe I should have seen this as a warning sign to slow down and check in, but I didn't. I powered on. For some reason, I thought that once I got back to the bay, my life would be miraculously complete and I would have arrived at my destination. Any residual issues that I had would be sorted. I'd be happy for the rest of my days. That elusive happy ending I'd waited my whole life to find. And I was willing to do whatever that took. I could live with two 18-year-olds because my soul would totally be fulfilled. Nothing could get in the way of that. Besides, while you might say that moving to Nambucca was a mistake, I believe it was one of my biggest gifts. It taught me so much about myself. Even when things don't work out the way you planned, they do work out perfectly for your personal growth, if you're willing to put on those coloured glasses. We committed, put our house on the rental market, packed up our stuff, and just as we were about to move in, the 18-year-olds broke up, yay, and moved out. So we had the place to ourselves, worked out perfectly. I took it to be divinely inspired, the universe backing me because I backed myself. As we unpacked the truck, old friends dropped by with flowers and my heart felt so light and happy. People here cared. I could imagine people just dropping by whenever they drove past for a cuppa and a chat. Lots of late nights on the back deck having a few quiet beers and some good conversation, impromptu get-togethers. I soon realised that wasn't the reality. In fact, that was probably one in a handful of times anyone dropped by unexpectedly. And I soon realised that being in the hinterland, 20 minutes to the shops or the beach or the gym or to see any friends, wasn't all that convenient. In fact, it was isolating. 
See, there's a couple of old sayings, which I'd never heard prior to 2012, wherever you go, there you are, and there is no geographical cure for your problems. A move doesn't change you. In fact, nothing that you are giving the power to make your life suddenly wonderful ever works out that way. Why? Well, because you are still you. The location you live, it might change. Some circumstances might make life a little easier, but it doesn't change who you are. It just changes where you are who you are. So if you haven't dealt with your shit here, it will follow you there, guaranteed. You might be able to outrun your problems momentarily, but not ongoing, not on a sustainable long-term basis. And that is the God-honest truth. Oh, fuck. So I've packed up my entire life that I've only just grown to love and recently made some really good friends who were all walking distance and suddenly I'm straight back in the isolation. All of my problems have not been solved by this move. I'm sad. I'm lonely. Oh, I'm so desperately lonely. You may have noticed a bit of a theme developing here. I feel isolated. I seek purpose and meaning. I create a new project. It fizzles out. I go back to my day job, the voiceover agency. I feel lonely. I create a new project or I make a big, bold interstate move. Rinse and repeat. Now, I kind of understand that life for me isn't meaningful if there isn't connection. And often, if the physical place I find myself isn't affording me connection, instead of putting myself out there and creating them, I create things. Big plans, big dreams, big interstate moves, big projects. I fill my life with busyness, mostly actual business to curb the boredom. But the plans, the dreams, the moves, the projects, they don't fill the whole. So I drop them and move on. What I seem to very quickly forget is that connection can't happen outside of us if it's not happening inside of us. We can't be connected with anyone in a meaningful way if we aren't connected to our heart and soul. And while I was on the path to reconnection, I still had a very long way to go. Yet again, I'd found myself here, a different physical location, but the same place, the place of isolation. I joined a gym. It wasn't the same. I joined a networking group. It wasn't the same. Weirdly, I found myself missing the relatively uncool Nambucca heads, desperately missing my motley crew, missing feeling cool, missing feeling wealthy, missing a sense of belonging. I knew I couldn't go back but it didn't stop me placing those rose-coloured glasses on once more. It's so funny how people find themselves in your life. Sometimes unbelievable. They show up at the right time with some incredible gift. Mine showed up through a series of weird events. As a kid, I was a very avid dancer. I was never a sporty kind of kid. Hated netball, basketball, tennis, cross-country, swimming, well, competitive swimming. Definitely did not dig competitive sports, but I loved dancing more than anything. I gave it away when I was 18 for a shit boyfriend who only really ever gave a shit about himself. I was about two exams off becoming a teacher and I gave it away for an immature dickhead. Fast forward a few years and I'd posted some cute pics of me and a few of my dancing friends. I was probably about eight or nine years old, wearing seriously 80s get-up. I believe it was a costume for our performance of Olivia Newton-John's Let's Get Physical. 
Some of the people in the photo were Facebook friends already and they tagged the remaining girls, one of which was Krista Jane. I remember her being pretty fucking cool, even as a young child. She was confident and a bloody great dancer. Somehow I found she was doing some pretty cool work around helping people connect to their passion and purpose. It was something I'd thought of doing myself, but never, and still haven't, found the guts to commit. When I started Think Beautiful, I thought of Krista and I reached out to see if she'd be interested in contributing. She was. And so we began a bit of a friendship. She was a breath of fresh air. No bullshit. She was spiritual but really grounded. I liked it. Shortly after we'd moved, Krista invited me to a retreat she was hosting in Bali. I hadn't been to Bali for over a decade, but I'd always had such an affinity for the place and the people. I decided to go. I was still very much in a place of not really feeling like I knew what my purpose was and could do with the opportunity to really explore my passions outside of my current environment. So I scraped together what I could and bought myself a ticket. I'd never travelled by myself, so I was incredibly nervous. I'd had a couple of days before the retreat in Seminyak and knew, given the opportunity, I would hold myself up in a hotel room and not leave the confines of the resort, so I set myself some ground rules. Social anxiety is a very real thing for me. I've used many tools over the years to deal with it. Drinking, smoking, never doing anything by myself, keeping busy so that people don't notice I'm alone and feeling very out of place. They kind of work okay. While living in Nambaka, I worked with an incredible group of local women putting on a Women's Day event in Coffs Harbour. It aimed to celebrate the diversity of the region and bring together the three main cultures, Aboriginal, Anglo and Sudanese, and create a real feeling of inclusion and community. It was such a cool event and on the day, my anxiety was running high. I ran around the place trying to keep busy because I knew if I stopped and someone asked me a question about myself, I'd burst into tears. During depression, this happened a lot. Anytime anyone asked me a question, even just the guy at Woolies asking, how was your day? I'd feel the throat tighten, the tears well. So being alone in a foreign country that I hadn't been to since before the Bali bombing was really freaking me out. What would I do with myself? Sit around all by myself? People would be looking at me wondering, what's wrong with her? What would I do all by myself? No one to talk to, no one to have dinner with. And while it would have been easier to lock myself in my hotel room and order room service, I set myself some ground rules. One, I could only stay in my room if I were going to sleep. I could get changed in there, grab some things I needed, but I couldn't just hang in there hiding out. Ten minutes max. Two, no meals other than the included breakfast at the hotel. I had to venture outside the confines of the hotel for all other meals. Three, I couldn't eat in the same restaurant more than once. Every meal had to be in a new place. We can easily become a creature of comfort, right? Falling in love with one particular place and never going to try anything new. With these ground rules in place, I set about doing whatever the fuck I wanted. And while, sure, there were awkward moments, most of it was pretty darn blissful. I had a massage when I wanted to, had a beautiful flower bath when I wanted to, sat by the pool writing blog posts when I wanted to, explored the streets, and surprisingly met some people and had a lovely dinner with strangers one evening. It felt nice not to be hating my own company so much. It felt nice to be all alone in a country where I knew no one. It felt nice to be back in Bali, not having to cater to anyone else's needs, being able to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, without considering anyone but me.
I made the most of those couple of solo days, flower baths and spa treatments, sitting by the pool writing, discovering new places to eat and shop. I'd relaxed and I was ready. Then my driver picked me up to take me to Ubud. I had no idea what to expect. And man, had Ubud changed in the decade since I'd last visited. I didn't know what was going to unfold over the next seven days, but I was open to going deep, not holding back, really making the most of this amazing opportunity to finally figure out what my purpose might be. Before this trip, I had not taken a single day off from my business. Work came with me. I never wanted to let down a client, so I'd bend over backwards and did things that they honestly would never have asked of me. So making a commitment to myself that there would be no work done during the retreat was a huge deal. I turned up, put my computer away, and committed to myself I would go all in on this experience. Each morning, I'd wake up before the sun had risen and silently make my way down to the yoga shala to be guided through our morning meditation. That the first day, I just couldn't be still. My nose was itchy, my legs were restless, my mind distracted. Each day, I got clearer and quieter and eventually found myself not wondering when it would be over, but instead enjoying each moment for what it was – Quiet, still, spacious, peaceful. That week was all about finding our passion and purpose, so we dove deep into figuring out what the fuck we wanted to do with our lives. And I dove as deep as I possibly could. I really wanted the answers I sought. What was I here for? What was my purpose? I sat on a yoga mat. The sounds of the crickets in the rice paddies around us, the odd rooster crowing, a lovely breeze blowing past while drinking from a coconut and scribbling on a big piece of butcher's paper that represented what is really important to me. I can't recall all the words on the page, but I suspect it was probably stuff like family, friends, learning, fun. But I can recall the ones that really stood out to me. Community, connection, communication. Still today, these three words represent my highest values. I love a few F-words too, like freedom and family and friends and fun, but they all seem to be subcategories of these three key values. On the trip home, I felt renewed and ready to take on the world. I'd faced the fear of being alone. I'd actually enjoyed my own company. I'd made some amazing new friends. I'd connected back to me. I wasn't quite sure what my plans for global domination were just yet, but I felt like whatever it was was on its way to me right then and there. I just had to maintain enough quiet to hear the call when it was time. 